0: Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this good morning and for another Sunday, God, and we have we've really come to learn and understand how important Sundays are. We thank you for Sundays. Oh Father, we pray that today as we're here in worship, And we look to your word, that you would speak to us through your word, that we would be people who know what you are, what you're like, what you've said, and that you would use that to change our hearts. We ask for that now, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, we're going to continue moving right along. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's all right, you can use the Pew Bible there, it's page 930. 930 in a pew Bible. And before we get started, I want to tell y'all I'm especially happy this morning. Not for why y'all are thanking, though. (laughs) Today is Val and I's anniversary. April 2nd, 2005, Val and I got married, and so... I just wanted to say before all of you today that I, I thank God for another day with her and another year, and Val is really a good wife to me and a good mom to our children, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to celebrate that. We don't talk about basketball in the morning sermons, okay? <laughs> I know that's what y'all were thinking, but I'm much, much happier this, this morning for 12 years with Valeria than I am over any ball game. And so here we are in Mark chapter 10, and Jesus is talking about children. I love it when Jesus gets to talking about young people because that seems to be right in the middle of where I am uh, with young people. We we knew it was coming, but we we are in a season of our lives where, apart from Wednesdays, where we have uh, church on a Wednesday night, one of our kids... (laughs) has something going on the other six days of the week. It's probably ballet, or it's a baseball practice, or something like that, but Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the kids have something going on. And that's not a complaint, that's also not a rejoicing, that just is what it is, if you're going to have children, but it is to say that our lives are centered around kids right now. And every once in a while in life, we find ourselves in a position that we're not really sure what we should do. I know you've been there before. And that's not a good spot to be in. And so I'm thankful, as I tell y'all each and every week, that for most everything in life, God has addressed it. And he tells us how we are to look at something and how we are to view something and how we are to understand it. Val and I celebrate 12 years of marriage today. And we are asking God to help us be better at marriage, that I would be a better husband, that she would be a better wife, faithful to God. Parenting is that way as well, is it not? Parenting is hard, and we all know that. And so I'm thankful that here in the Word of God, Jesus brings up children. The past several weeks, we've had some heaviness in our Sunday morning sermons. Three weeks ago, we finished up chapter 9 with Jesus' sermon on the temptations of sin. Jesus got real serious and talked about if anybody would hinder somebody else from believing in Christ, then it would be better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and they'd be thrown into the sea. That is severe and that is harsh. So is the perspective or the balance, if we're going to act like sin doesn't matter, therefore the savior of sinners doesn't matter and just live our lives, then that is tragic. The next two weeks, these past two weeks, my sermons have been on marriage and divorce and remarriage as it talks about here in chapter 10. And as I've already told you, I had somebody come to me two weeks ago and they said, I'm finding this part of Mark a little bit odd. They said for chapters 8 and chapter 9, I was, so, I was so dialed in because Jesus was talking about discipleship. He was talking about what it means to follow him. And, and he was talking about how he needed to die and how sins needed to be forgiven. And he was talking about what it meant like for you to believe in him and to live for him and follow him. And Jesus was talking about those types of things. And I was so engaged. I was interested in chapters 8 and 9 and those topics, man. I mean, that seemed to be uh, for me. But then they said this. They said, but then... At the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10, he's now talking about like marriage and parenting and all that. Why, Why do you think he shifts gears so much? And I thought to myself, that's a good question. But then I said, if we don't get to where we start thinking that following Jesus applies to our homes and our marriages and our parenting, then we're not serious about following Jesus. I'm so thankful that Jesus shifts gears like this. He says at the end of chapter 8, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In the very next verse, 835, he says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. In the very next verse, verse 36 of chapter 8, he says, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? And to be totally honest, when and where does somebody lose their soul? At what point are they starting to lose their soul? And it is totally in the midst of what our lives consist of. The relationships, our homes, our families, our friends, our our, our co-workers, our wives, our husbands, our parenting, it's in those relationships where we start to lose our grip, we get away from God and His ways, and we start to lose our souls. And so Jesus knows exactly, He is the great teacher, He knows exactly what He's doing as He comes to this. And He brings up here at Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16. Children. Read with me. 10, beginning in verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Awesome, awesome passage. Perhaps one that is now familiar to you because you've read it many times, but a really good one. God loves kids. Let that sink in for a second. God loves kids. And he's focused on them. In the bulletin I titled this, The Importance of Young People. And when I wrote that, it reminded me of a sermon I preached here three years ago, two and a half years ago, where I said, Why all the emphasis on young people? Why are we concerned about kids and the community and the young people? Why? I would encourage you, if you weren't here then, that was November the 9th of 2014, for you to go back and listen. If you go straight to the website and just type in young people, that sermon will pop up. If you go straight to Google and type in First Baptist Fairdale, young people, that sermon will pop up. I would love for you to go back and listen to that one. Totally different passage, totally different focus, but answering why all the emphasis on young people. Today, we're in Mark 10... And I'm asking, or I'm, I'm, I'm emphasizing, as Jesus is, the importance of young people. The World Census Bureau lets us know that there are over 7 billion people on earth. Over 7 billion. And listen to this. Nearly 30% of them, of the 7 billion people on earth, are under the age of 14. Think about that for a second. More than two billion people on the planet have hardly even hit their teenage years. Two billion. Nearly a third of the people. That's incredible. More than a quarter, nearly a third. Here in Louisville, Kentucky, our our city, Jefferson County, our public school system, has, listen to this, over hundred thousand. 1,000 students in it, in JCPS schools, over 100,000. To put that in perspective, if you were to fill up the KFC Yum Center, which I'm sure you've been there downtown, if you were to fill up that arena with JCPS students, you could do it over five times you ever been to a ball game and see how crowded it is trying to go up that cool escalator that they have there? See how crowded it is at the Yum Center sometimes? We could do that in that arena over five times just with JCPS Kids. Doesn't count the kids that go to private schools, doesn't count the kids that go to all the surrounding counties that are nearby. It doesn't count all of the kids that aren't in school yet. Needless to say, and those who work in the right fields could affirm this, there are young people everywhere. Everywhere. And here we are today at Mark chapter 10, and Jesus is talking about them. Focused on them, preaching on them, teaching on them. Jesus is putting into perspective in the midst of his ministry, and let me remind you that he only had three years of ministry. I mean, when you look at the life of Jesus and you know that he spent the first 30 years kind of growing up and getting ready and then he busts on the scene right after John the Baptist and he comes ministering. He only did ministry for three years then he died on the cross. If you look at it like that and then you include all of the knowledge that Jesus has, he knows everything, then wouldn't you think that his time was very limited and restricted and he had to do certain things and had to say no to a lot of things? And yet children were on that to-do list. They're on that priority J.C. Rouse says, the great head of the church, that's Jesus, found time to take special notice of children. Although his time on earth was precious and grown up men and women were perishing on every side for lack of knowledge, Jesus did not thank little boys and girls of small importance. He had room in his mighty heart even for them. They are to be a priority. We as a church and we as Christians ought to have them as a priority. So we look here to Mark chapter 10, where Jesus says, let the children come to me, and let's walk through this passage. The first point that I want to bring out today is that people were bringing. Let's use that word, bringing. People were bringing children to him that he might touch them. This is fascinating. Jesus is a man. We know him to be the God man. Some of them knew him to be God. Some of them weren't sure who he was. There's a lot of discussion in the the Bible and the Gospels about who is Jesus really. But they knew there was something extra or special or fascinating about him. And we find here in this passage that people all over were, were running with their children to get them to Jesus. They wanted him to see their kids. They wanted him to touch them and bless them. The Bible teaches us, if you were to look at the parallel passage in Matthew, that they wanted him to do a formal blessing. They wanted him to put his hands on them and and say a prayer. This is very common. This is common to find somebody that you look up to in a religious, spiritual sense and ask them to, to pray for your child. The Jews did this sort of thing all of the time. But that's what they were doing. I want to give you thought to this for a second. Why in the world would you go to lengths or efforts to bring your children to something? Why do you go to the extent of including them or involving them or getting them in the process? Why, oh why, would we dare sign up for baseball this season if we know that practice is going to be six days a week? Why would we do that? Why would we get ourselves involved in something that seems to be uh, adding to our lives? They were bringing their children to him. Why were they bringing their children to him? Folks, they knew that their children needed Jesus. They knew that. And this is a simple truth, but I want to remind you of how important and critical, crucial this is. People need Jesus. Children need Jesus. They were bringing their kids. I want to ask you for a second, very, very practically. I know this wouldn't be like a, a throwing them in the car and rushing them somewhere. I know this wouldn't be a putting them on your back and carrying them somewhere. But, but if I were to ask you if, if you're right now in the process of bringing your children to Jesus what would you say are you bringing your kids to Christ and if I were to ask you what if not what are you bringing them to that's a hard question to answer isn't it see so often we find ourselves just doing something and we're not absolutely convinced if it's worth it We try to diet, we don't see results, so we quit the diet. We try to exercise, we don't see results, so we quit the exercising. Are we bringing our children to Jesus? They were bringing their kids to Jesus, and I like this word, bringing. Let me give you this thought. When you know your purpose in life, and you know what you are to be doing, then that is reflected in what you do and how you are living, right? Right? But on the contrary to that, when you do not have a purpose in life, when you ha- do not know what you are to be doing, or when you've lost your way, then that also is reflected in what you do and how you are living. And so I want here today to, to bring to us this great idea that they were bringing people to Jesus. Jesus. In our call to worship today, we read from Psalm 78, and in Psalm 78, you have this great explaining in the Psalms of the importance of God designing where one generation would pass on God and who He is and His ways to the next generation, but it says there in verse 4 or 5, it says that God commanded the fathers to teach their children about God. It says that in Psalm 78, that God commanded the fathers to teach the children about God. And yet all the wives right now have their ears perked up because we know, we know, we know that what we call Christian dads are not teaching their children about God. And so they may be Christian or be trying to convince themselves Christian, but are we really doing the Christian thing? Are we bringing our children to Jesus? And it's not because we don't know how to be dads. Let's don't don't beat ourselves down. We know how to be dads. Our kids can tell you right now exactly the right form on a a jump shot. They're they're young. They can't even really make them yet. But they know to keep the elbow in and get their arm up. They know to follow through. They know every bit of that. They know how to get in stance to be able to hit a ball and line their knuckles up and, and swing and extend the arms and eye on the ball. They know that. Why? Because we've worked on it and we've worked on it and we've worked on it. They can spit out their times tables just like that. They're rolling through them. They're rolling. What's nine times eight? What's seven times six? They can roll through them. Why? We've worked on it. We've worked on it. They know that if somebody gives them something, they should say thank you. And if they want to refuse it, they should say no thank you. Why? Because we've worked on it. We know how to do these things. Your kids are already wearing the the blue shirts or the red shirts, the big blue nation, the go-cards. They're so all about it. Why? Because within just a few years, we have convinced them, we have grown it into them, we have brainwashed them to be all about these things. Because we love them and we're so passionate about them and they consume our lives. And maybe it's other things. Maybe it's like how to swing a hammer or how to mow the grass or how to, how to work hard or how to do this or how to do that. I don't know. But we're good at getting our kids to do certain things. The things that really, really matter to us. We're good at bringing them into this or bringing them into that. When that thing is really important to us. And to be honest, so... So often we think, I'd be so ashamed if my kid couldn't do this. I'd be so ashamed if my kid couldn't do this. And so we get so committed to it. Just think about things like tying your shoes. If a kid can't tie his shoes by the time he's in this or this or that grade, then we know that that's starting to be a little bit odd. And so parents have to get really into, man, we've got to work on this. We're going to work on this every single night, tying your shoes until you get it. Or anything like that. But we know the importance of it. We know how to dig in and we know how to look into it. If it's important. But here in our passage, we see that they were bringing their children to Jesus. And I want to ask here today are are we committed to Jesus for who he is are we understanding that life or death is dependent upon what we do with christ do we understand that this world will not satisfy apart from jesus do we understand that we are vulnerable without the foundation of christ do we understand that the devil is really truly wanting to steal kill and destroy us right now and he will succeed at that listen to me he We'll succeed at that unless our kids know Jesus. This idea that I just want them to grow up and and be happy and be successful is a straight down, happy-go-lucky lane of the devil killing, stealing, and destroying you apart from Christ. Stop kidding yourself. We must be about bringing our children to Jesus. J.C. Ryle says, we must never allow ourselves to suppose that little children's souls may be safely let alone. Their characters for life depend exceedingly on what they see and hear during their first seven years. Interesting that he's saying this. He's writing in the 1850s. I I don't know what the age age range is for when they're most um, impressionable, but he says the first seven years. He says, they are never too young to learn evil and sin. They are never too young to receive religious impressions. They think in their childish way about God and their souls in a world to come far sooner and far more deeply than most people are aware. They are far more ready to respond to appeals to their feeling of right and wrong than many suppose. They already each have a conscience. God has mercifully not left himself without a witness in their hearts. Amen. Fallen and corrupt as their natures are. They have each a soul which will live forever in heaven or hell. We cannot begin too soon, listen to this, we cannot begin too soon to endeavor to bring them to Christ. These truths ought to be diligently considered by every branch of the church of Christ, and starting with moms and dads. Do we want our kids to pull for the North Carolina Tar Heels? Absolutely. but it doesn't matter. Do we want them to be able to hit a baseball? Absolutely. But it doesn't matter. Do we want them to believe in Christ? Absolutely. And it's the only thing that matters. Bringing their children to Jesus Why? Because they knew who he was. They knew that this was God. They knew that it was worth it. They knew that it was worth every single effort. Number two, rebuking. They were, rebring, they were bringing their kids to Jesus, but look what it says in verse 13. The disciples, those who had spent the most time with Jesus, those who were close to Jesus, were rebuking them. And this is one of those passages, and there are a handful, there, this is one of those passages where you just kind of scour, you just kind of like, oh goodness, you, you, you frown at the disciples and how much they were, they were off at times. The disciples missed it quite often, and here you have this. You have parents bringing their children to Jesus, and you have the disciples saying, no, stop it. You take them back right now. They don't need to be around Jesus. Jesus doesn't have time for that. John MacArthur said they are not the ones who get to determine who gets to Jesus or not. They were rebuking people for bringing people to Jesus. In just a little bit, verse 14, he goes on and says that Jesus saw it and he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. And then he has this great phrase that we hear a lot, do not hinder them. Jesus is very much so aware that that our lives often are a hindrance to children. Parents, can we wake up? Grandparents, can we wake up a little bit? There is so much of what we do that is a hindrance to children. And Listen to me. I know that you first go through, okay, well, I'm not an atheist, and I'm not teaching them about atheism. I'm not teaching them devil worshiping. And that's what you're thinking being a hindrance is. This is not what Jesus is referring to. Jesus here is referring to anything and everything that gets in the way, any way of Jesus. And absolutely baseball or times tables or homework or schoolwork or anything else can be a hindrance to Jesus. I'm all for you practicing baseball seven days a week, but if your families quit eating together and quit reading the Bible together and quit praying together and quit disciplining our children and quit prioritizing that time, then we've already become a huge hindrance. Perhaps the academics and perhaps the athletics and perhaps all of those things are already a hindrance. Not to mention that we're so busy throughout the week that we don't have time for God or time for church or time for the things that matter. It's a hindrance. Jesus speaks strongly about this. There is a rebuke going on when something gets in the way of our children coming to Jesus. There's so many times here lately where Val and I have had a little bit of free time and we've said to the kids, hey, what do you want to do? You want to go somewhere? You want to go to the zoo? You want to go play somewhere? What do you want to do? And you know what their answer is? Can we just stay home? Can we just stay here and play for a little bit? Could two happy, striving parents be a hindrance to the gospel? Absolutely we can. And we need to hear a rebuke from Jesus. Stop getting in the way. Stop trying to do so many things that are cutting out God working in their lives. Val and I need to hear that. And Jesus says that. There's a verse in Judges chapter 2 verse 10 that says this. Listen to me. Judges 2.10. All of that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. What a scary verse. God had worked so mightily in these people's lives. They had children, and the message was kind of explained to them. They had children, and by the time we got to the grandchildren, it had been forgotten. They did not know the Lord. Are we in the way? Has Jesus been cut out? Has family time, Bible reading, praying together, has, has has disciplining our children, has quality time been neglected? There have been so many times recently where my little Carolina has asked me to sit down and play with her. I'm trying my best to keep Ariel and Jasmine and Rapunzel and all of those together. I just can't remember them all. She wants me to so badly. She loves those things. And every once in a while, she'll have some Legos out, and she'll say, here, I got it already set up for us, Dad. It always hurts a little bit when they've, like, long been waiting, right? The, the, the play set has been set up for hours. That's how long they've literally been waiting And I show up to play, and she says, okay, here here are you. I'm like, okay, cool, this will be Bob. And she's like, no, it's not Bob, that's Prince. Prince, that's not a name, that's who he is. Yeah, I know, his name's Prince Daddy. Oh, well, who's this? This Princess. Well, Princess, that's not a name. That's Princess Carolina. I'm the Princess, and you're the Prince, Dad. And all of a sudden, it dawns on me that this playing is really a big deal to her. It might be ten minutes before I storm out the door to go to something else. But it's perhaps the biggest thing to her. What is the biggest thing in the mind of a four-year-old daughter? I don't know, maybe that. But you and I both know, listen to me, she's not going to want to do that for long. And by the looks of the young people that I see these days, she's not going to do it for much longer at all. It's coming quick. So I'm not trying to get sentimental about, well, I better enjoy it. No, here's what I'm saying. What is she going to like when she stops that? You see what I mean about being a hindrance? When she stops doing that, what is she going to like? Because we find new interests, don't we? When we can't play school ball anymore, what are we going to do? Y'all, this is what it means to parent. We're thinking about that. When you're no longer playing with your baby dolls or you're no longer playing with your Xbox, what are you going to do? What are you going to like? What are you going to love? What's going to excite you? What's your life going to be about? And if we can't answer those questions, and if we are not investing in our children's lives for those hearts, then guess what? It's not going to turn out good. And we realize that they don't love Jesus like they were supposed to have loved Jesus, and then we start saying little things, well, I just hope they're happy. And we realize that that is so weak and shallow. That's not what we want. And we realize, ultimately, you're not going to find happiness apart from Jesus. Jesus. So, Jesus, rightly, also rightly, Jesus rebuked them. I know you had well intentions, disciples. I know you did. But stop it. Stop it. Don't let anything get in the way of these kids coming to Jesus do not hinder them do not stop them it may seem like our time is pressed and maybe it is but it is not too pressed for the children now we know the disciples right and we know that they meant well so let me say another word of caution meaning well is not the same thing as following God's ways Meaning well is not the same thing as following God's ways. And in parenting, folks, we cannot afford to just mean well. We can't just hope that they turn out okay. You can't have no rules and hope they don't get into porn. They're going to be into porn unless something major causes them not to. can't just mean well and hope it doesn't happen. have got to be serious about that. You've got to have a purpose in it. The commentator says, we may confidently expect Christ's blessing on all attempts to do good to children. No church can be regarded as being in a healthy state which neglects its younger members and lazily excuses itself on the plea, hey, they are just young people and young people will be young and that it is useless to try to do them good. Such a church shows plainly that it has not the mind of Christ, The mind of Christ is here in Mark chapter 10. That even though the disciples were saying stop the children from coming to me. Jesus says no you stop it and let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. Do not get in the way. So in other words we are to be a church and we are to be a people who. Number three love when children or people for that matter Belong to Jesus. Number one, bringing. Number two, rebuking. And number three, belonging. Look what it says here in verse 14. Jesus says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. You like this word belongs, don't you? I think we do. When little kids are in school and they've picked up somebody's lunchbox that they shouldn't have picked up, or somebody's coat they shouldn't have picked up, we will quickly say, no, that doesn't belong to you. And we use that word, belong. It doesn't belong to you. In other words, that's not yours. So you don't need to be doing anything with it. And yet this is the very word, belongs, belonging. This is the very word that now our Lord Jesus is using when he's talking to kids. Like they have some belongings, right? Kids have some belongings. They don't have a lot, but they do. They have a piggy bank at home, and they're so thrilled about it. And they'll tell you they've got a lot of money because there's some 75 pennies in it. And they're thrilled about how heavy it is and how hard it is to pick up 75 pennies once they've spilt those. And it is 75 different things. And they've got a lot of money. And you can really quickly, well, you can pull a quick one on them when you start trading them for money. But they've got some things that belong to them but look what Jesus says belongs here. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Heaven belongs to children and those that are like them. Let that sink in for a moment. In other words, why the importance on young people Because, church, we've got a lot to learn from young people. Didn't you love it this past month when the story went viral about the two boys in school that wanted the same haircut and they had completely different skin color? Did y'all hear that story? It was actually here in Louisville. It was a national story. It was a dark-skinned little boy and a light-skinned little boy who were best friends. And one had his head shaved and the other had big old bushy hair and the boy went home and mom said, you need a haircut. And He said, okay, I want to get it cut like my buddies. Because if I get the same haircut as him, the teacher won't be able to tell us apart. Y'all have seen that story. a national viral story happening right here in South Louisville. Really, really cool story. The boy had no idea of the glaring difference that you and I would be so aware of. We've got a lot to learn from young people, folks. And Jesus is teaching us this kingdom of God, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven belongs. It belongs to those that are like children that will come to the Lord and trust Him. Look what he says in verse 15, "Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. There are people that will not make it to heaven. There are people that will not enter the kingdom of God and there are those that will. And it comes down to those who have looked upon the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who loves them and made them and the one who died on the cross for their sins. And so no matter how many flaws we have, no matter how many times we've messed up, we will look to God and say, God, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you have mercy upon me? Would you help me? And the Bible says that God will. And a child knows that the goodness of God and the graciousness of God and the love of God is believable and it is accepted. And what happens so often in life, the more and more we grow up, we think we're outsmarting ourselves or we're or, 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 or too wise or whatever, and we start to think that maybe that message is not believable. He made us, he loves us, he will forgive us, and his son died to prove it. And if anybody will believe that and humble themselves like a child, they will belong to the kingdom of God. J.C. Ryle says, It is the bounden duty of every Christian congregation to make provision for the spiritual training of its children. The boys and girls of every family should be taught as soon as they can learn. They should be brought to public worship as soon as they can behave with propriety. And they should be regarded with affectionate interest as the future congregation which will fill our places when we are. Dead, We may confidently expect Christ's blessing on all attempts to do good to children. He loves them. He loves them. God loves kids. He loves kids and he doesn't want us to get in the way. He wants us bringing our kids to children. He loves kids and he rebukes us when we are getting in the way or we think that we can do it right or we're content with the wrong things or we're well-intended in the wrong direction. He rebukes us for that. But then he gives a big, strong talk about what it means to belong and what it means to have blessing. We're coming to the very end of March Madness and tomorrow it'll all be over. And perhaps the, the biggest story and the greatest story of the tournament was South Carolina Gamecocks and their run all the way to the Final Four. And now everybody knowing about their coach, Frank Martin. Just a few weeks ago in a press conference, Frank Martin went off on adults and the way they view children. He said all the time you hear people saying young people these days, the kids these days, man, the young people these days. He said, "What, what are people thinking? He said, since when do adults blame the kids? He said, kids don't know anything about anything, and you're blaming them. He said, the problem's not with the kids. The problem's with the adults. Adults love to talk about how they worked so hard, and they were disciplined, and they had to walk to school, and they used to get spankings and all that, and now they do none of that. People went to work early and learned a work ethic, and now we don't want kids to go to work, and on and on. He wasn't talking about the Bible or Jesus or anything like that. He was just talking about how the problem's with the adults. And I liked what he said. You know, right here in Mark chapter 10, who's the problem with? The adults. And we're talking about Peter, James, and John. We're talking about Peter, James, and John, listen to me, who one, listen to me, one chapter ago, We're on the mountaintop for the transfiguration of Jesus with Moses and Elijah totally getting the glory of God. But when it came to young people, they were off. They were off. Folks, when it comes to us and young people, we don't want to be off. We want to understand they're important, they're valuable. We want them around us. We want to invest in them. And we want them to know Jesus. And so may we begin now to prioritize church, to prioritize parenting, to prioritize what is the most important thing. And may God give you grace to do that. And may you know here today that you can't give a kid something that you don't have. Jesus is not a priority to you. No way you can teach them him to be a priority to them. Let's pray. Father, I pray, God, that you would give us a heart for this. I thank you, God, that right here in the book of Mark, you've got us dealing with some heavy stuff. God, I pray that you would make every one of us sensitive to things like discipleship and following you and sin and marriage and parenting. God, I speak for everybody in here that we, we, we've made mistakes and we, we don't do it right. And Val and I know that, that we do. And so, God, we pray that you would forgive us of our sins. Father, we also pray, though, that you would build us up and set our hearts afresh on you. That we would resolve even now to follow you when it comes to young people. Oh God, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.